Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're picking up again in verse 5 this morning. Uh, we got partway through a, a segment last week and need to finish it up. So let's open with prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us your word. And we pray that as we study, we can learn more about uh, who we are and, and uh, your plans for us and, and about our sanctification and uh, how you desire for us to um, live out what you have already uh, done for us positionally. And we just pray as we go through this section that we can learn that and, and help us in our, in our daily walk. We just pray you bless our time now as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, for context, let's read read the whole chapter again. It's a short chapter. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Right? It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated, even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from their midst. Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out to the but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of your brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an adulterer, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Oh, what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Okay, so last week we began this chapter. And, uh, in verse 1, we introduces the, the, the problem of a sinner. Uh, it says, he, uh, there's a man who has his father's wife. Now, there's a, it's not understood exactly what that phrase means. Some would say that he, this man has married a woman who formerly was married to his father. Now, it does not refer to his biological mother. Um, at the other extreme, maybe this man is having sexual relationships with a woman who is married to his father, in which case it's not just incest, it's also adultery. So there's a big range of what this might mean. But it's, it is a definite sin. It's uh, uh, totally wrong. You know, Paul says, you know, even the Gentiles don't 
the, or even the Greeks don't do this, or not the Gentiles. Um, uh, we saw that it's actually against the Roman law. So, you know, it's definitely not something that is acceptable behavior. The problem is, the real problem is, they haven't done anything about it. This is going on in the church. The church is uh, loving and forgiving and accepting, and they're just letting this guy do this. They're not doing any form of discipline. And in a sense, you know, we looked at the problem of, uh, that they probably thought themselves to be more loving and forgiving than God is. You know, and so in a sense, we see the arrogance that, and, and we see this in other areas. That we think our moral, you know, God doesn't live up to our moral standards, so we don't believe him or we don't obey him, which is complete arrogance. And so he talks about the arrogance here, and that was something that was, uh, we've seen it all, you know, in the first four chapters. He, you know, Paul's been dealing with the arrogance of, of the leaders at the church. Um, they should have felt great grief at this and expelled them. They should have excommunicated them. And they did not, so Paul, while he's uh, absent, he basically gives them an order. You know, if I was there, this is what I would tell you to do. Expel him from the church. But he's not there, so he basically writes and tells them that this is what they need to do. Um, you do it in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Because it's his church, and that's what he has ordained as the proper method of discipline. We've, we've looked back at, at Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus talks about the steps of discipline. Now, verse 5 is where we ended up last week. and um, It's got a few phrases that are kind of odd, in a sense. We looked at the first one. I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan. Um, and the commentaries are pretty much uniformly agree that this means to expel him, kick him out of the church body back into the world. Um, and so that's not... And, and we even see that in the context. Um, even the last verse, verse 13, remove the wicked man from your midst. Um, and so that's, that one's pretty clear. Um, and where we stopped last week was this, uh, well, I want to finish a little bit more about this idea of expulsion or ex excommunication in verse 5. <clears throat> you know, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The purpose is restoration, that the spirit may be saved. But this is something that's been practiced from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do with them regarding the Garden of Eden? He kicked them out. He kicked them out. Yeah. They were expelled. Let's turn back to Genesis, look at chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And someone like to read verses 12 through 14. So Cain kills Abel, <coughs> and what happens? 12 through 14. Verses 4, 12 through 13. Yes. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Okay, so he's been basically made to be a wanderer, a vagrant. He's been expelled from the presence of God. Um, Later in Genesis, after the flood, God specifically ordains capital punishment for murder. But that, has, that law has not been put in effect yet, so instead we have expulsion. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 18. So we'll look at the, what the law says. Leviticus chapter 18 Someone like to read verse 29. Okay, so here's one of the common punishments when you look through the law cut off from their people. Um, and chapter 19, verse, someone like to read verse 8 for us. Okay, so we have different violations of the law here, but the same punishment. It shall be cut off from their people. Um, that's uh, excommunication from the, from the body of Israel. Uh, we studied Ezra not too long ago. Let's turn to Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10. Someone like to read verses 7 and 8. They made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem, and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the leaders and the elders, all his possessions should be forfeited, and he himself excluded from the assembly of the exiles. Okay, so they had a problem there with intermarriage with the surrounding people and Ezra and the leaders are going to do something about it so they have all the people have to come to Jerusalem and the penalty for not following that order is be excluded from the assembly of the exiles again we have excommunication and then we last time we read uh, Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 where, where Jesus gives his steps of discipline so Excommunication is not something unusual or strange or new. Uh, we see it all through Scripture. Okay, back to First uh, Corinthians chapter five. And the first thing we'll see is the the result of excommunication. And so I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. What does this phrase, destruction of his flesh, mean? Um, and this is an area where there's, a, there's basically two ideas, and you see both of them in all the commentaries. And it's based on what does Paul mean by the flesh here? Is he talking about physical body, or is he talking about the old sin nature? Because we see both of them throughout Scripture. Um, it could mean 
sin nature, it could mean physical body. So, um, let's start by looking at, take it as physical body. Um, you know, this is the idea you destroy the body in order to save the spirit, which makes some sense. And, and, and that, you know, I, uh, when I look at the different commentaries I have available, it seems like most of them kind of lean this way. But a lot of them are, are old commentaries that I have on my software, and so they're all written about the same time. Um, and that might be why they all had the same general idea. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 5. So we're looking at the idea of this physical, the destruction of the physical body. Acts chapter 5. Does someone like to read verses 3 through 5? But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. How far? Through five. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and the great fear came upon all of those who heard of him. Okay, and would, would you also read verse 10 for us? Yes. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Okay, so it's Ananias and Sapphira. What terrible sin did they commit? They, they, they sold property and they said, here's all the money from the property, but it wasn't all the money from the property. They lied about what they gave. And so they died for that. So here is some pretty, this is pretty severe discipline. Um, let's also look, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is our uh, passage we read for communion every month. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, would someone like to read verses 29 and 30 there? For anyone who eats and drinks without betraying the body that eats and drinks judgment on himself, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Okay, so there's, again, it's physical discipline. Sickness uh, and death, both as a result of their sin. Um, let's look at 1 John chapter 5. Which is a passage which I, I think relates to this context. 1 John chapter 5, so I'd like to read verses uh, 16 and 17 for us. anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and, and God will, for him, give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. And 17. Also. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Okay, so that sounds like there's 
particular sins that John's warning them about, that the consequence is going to be death. And he's telling other believers, don't pray for them. Don't intercede. This person's, they're on the road to death, and that's, don't bother praying for them. Um, I know in the Old Testament, uh, in some of the prophets, God tells the prophets, do not intercede for this people. Basically, they've, you know, the, they've been judged and sentenced, and they're going, you know, the, the, the cities are going to be destroyed and people are going to die. And God says, that's just the way it is. Don't bother praying for them anymore. <clears throat> so this is, um, you know, these deaths uh, certainly serve, I guess, as a, a warning to others. Um, but let's look at um, let's look at Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three, and would someone like to read verses fourteen and fifteen? If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Okay, so this is a form of expulsion here. But what's the... the Paul goes on to say, warn him as a brother. <clears throat> and you see that the kind of the, the intent is that he be restored. You know, you expelled him, you know, expel him from your... Uh, group, he should be ashamed of his sin, he should uh, repent and be restored. Um, so we see excommunication is a, a means to discipline and restore. If a person drops dead, you know, there's no, there's no restoration after that. And, and so that's one of the reasons why a lot of the commentators take a different view because, you know, what are we talking about here? Uh, back in 1 Corinthians 5. The ultimate purpose is his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, maybe that's, he's died and we're talking about judgment after death, but um, you know, through this whole thing, the emphasis is on restoration. So that's why others take the different view that instead of being uh, the destruction of the physical body, it's the destruction of the old sin nature. So, the, this idea of flesh referring to the old sin nature has turned back to in 1 Corinthians to chapter 3 and would someone like to read verses 1 through 3 and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual men but as to men of flesh as to infants in Christ I gave you milk to drink not solid food for you were not able to receive it indeed even now you are not yet able for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Okay, so here fleshly is the adjective form of the same word. Um, destruction of the flesh. So this is the adjective. He says they're fleshly. This has to do with how they behave, how they act, how they think, which comes from the old sin nature. So you know, that supports this idea that, um, that Paul in, in chapter 5 is talking about the destruction of the old sin nature. Um, 
And that's something that we, we see throughout his writings. Let's, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. In verse 24. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Someone read that for us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Okay, so here we see that the flesh here is obviously the old sin nature and it's been crucified. So we see other places where Paul basically says, you know, it died with Christ on the cross, and now you put it to death, or you put it off. So that fits the idea we have here of uh, the destruction of the flesh, or the destruction of the, um, the old sin nature. And so this fits, again, the theme that discipline is to be corrective, not necessarily punitive. And the goal is to bring this sinful believer back to repentance. Um, so, in this view, Paul wants the sinner cast out of the fellowship so that he repents of his fleshly lifestyle in order to be restored to the church. So, either one of these viewpoints makes sense. They both have scriptural backing. Uh, neither one really has a, a problem. And so, you know, I guess you could lean either way. I, I kind of think of it as being a little sin nature. But, boy, I'm not going to be dogmatic about what Paul intended here. <laughs> um, but that's the, the result of uh, delivering one to Satan, is for the destruction of the flesh. The um, purpose of this is in our last phrase, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word for spirit here is pneuma, the same as the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the discipline is that the believer's spirit is to be saved. Um, and that's contrasted with the flesh being destroyed. So, again, are you, what kind of the contrast are you looking here? Are you talking about the flesh being destroyed so the spirit could be saved? Or are we talking about the old sin nature being destroyed so the... Um, the spirit can be saved. So, that raises a question for me. If this guy's a believer, isn't his spirit already saved? I have access to at least half a dozen commentaries, and none of them touched that. <laughs> it's like, does somebody have anything to add to this to help answer this question? Um, Yeah. No haste that right. talks about works. Yeah. You know, is this a bad work? And, and I think that the term saved can be applied to different situations. You know, I don't think, you know, we're, we're thinking in terms of being saved from eternal damnation. You know, when we're, you know, and as a believer, we're saved from that. And that may not be what he's talking about here. He uh, may be saved from condemnation or something, a, a different one a different idea of what, what salvation means here. Um, but it's, you look at the, you know, he said that the Spirit may be saved, but also says, in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
And we covered that back in chapter 3. This is the judgment seat of Christ. So let's look at, I think, a pertinent passage in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, Someone like to read 12 through 15 for us. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day that is coming, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he may himself be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, so we're talking about being saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's brought before Christ in judgment. And the last verse we read, 15, you know, all his works are burned up, but he's saved. You know, you, he's, he's making it into heaven, but he smells of smoke, in a sense. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what it sounds like our, our sinner is going to be... Uh, in danger, maybe even of that. Um, and, and that's what raises some questions. There's some very, very harsh warnings in Scripture to believers. And, you know, I, you know, I, I know people who, who say, you know, you can lose your salvation. Um, and I, when I was a young believer, I was going to a, a church like that where, you know, there was people coming. I mean, every week they'd lost their salvation. They'd come back on Sunday and repent to get resaved. You know, and that's totally wrong. There's nothing in Scripture about that. But I have, I do have a friend who's a pastor. He's he's thought about: Is there a chance that someone, a believer, can become so bad and so rejecting of Christ, and that that God says, "Okay, if you want to reject me, you can reject me. I'll reject you." You know, ultimately, that a believer could be condemned. You know, and I that runs contrary to yeah. I have problem with that too. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's, it's like okay, there's passages like even this phrase Christ, sounds Christ, like it supports that. Understand Christ, but it wasn't sufficient. Then I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That there are some really strong, very harsh warnings, and I wanted to look at some of them. Um, okay, we've already looked um, at First Corinthians eleven. You know, Paul says, you know, if we don't judge ourselves, you know, we can become sick and even die physically. Um, let's look at James chapter five. James chapter 5. Someone like to read verses 19 and 20. My brothers. Oh, go ahead. If any, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay. So here we're talking about saving someone, save their soul from death. Um, the context is, if any among you 
one, you know, strays from the truth. So again, you know, and this this is what you know in some of these theological debates. If a person says you can lose your salvation, they can look at this verse and say, well, he's talking about believers or people in the church who could who needs to be saved from death. But again, um, very strong uh, warning. Um, let's look at First John chapter 5. Okay, we already looked at this one. That's the one we're... Uh, Say it looks like a familiar verse. Uh, John says there, you know, there are sins leading to death, and there's some sins not leading to death. So again, a strong warning. Um, let's look at First Chronicles chapter ten. This is. What happened to King Saul? First Chronicles chapter ten. Uh, First Chronicles chapter ten, some like to read verses thirteen and fourteen. So Saul died for his breach of faith. <coughs> he broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the commandment of the Lord, and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Okay. New American Standard. Therefore, he killed him. Therefore, God killed Saul because of his sin. Turned the kingdom over to David. So we, we have these severe warnings, and, and they are so severe that, you know, they could be interpreted as loss of salvation. I'm not, I don't believe that, <laughs> I'm not teaching that, but that is how severe uh, uh, these warnings are. So we gotta take this sin seriously, uh, even for those of us who were saved. Um, and I had written here, do not despise the death of Christ on our behalf. You know, and that's what Joe said, <laughs> recovered by the blood. Uh, don't despise that. Don't treat that as nothing. Now, one of the things uh, I, I think happens sometimes is that some believers can become so horrible that God just removes them from the earth. Yeah. Uh, before they do more damage to themselves or damage to other believers or dishonor to God. And so I definitely believe that. So we have this. Uh, this would be easier to interpret that last phrase of the day of the Lord wasn't there. Yeah. It'd be easier. It'd be easier. Yeah. Have explanations for it if that part wasn't in that verse. Yeah. Because then it could be just like remove the fellowship, okay, bring it back, you know, mm -hmm. part of the fellowship, part of the church body. Yes. But when I throw that last phrase in, it kind of changed that whole texture. Of, mm -hmm. And it, um, you know, how do we explain it? His spirit may be saved from excommunication. Because he's separated, you know, our sins separate us from God. You know, and if you, um, when we repent of our sins, our fellowship is restored. 
So, you know, that may be what, he, what we mean by saved in this place. So, um, anyways, there's a severe uh, penalty for, because of the uh, need for repentance here. Okay, the next section, verses 6 through 8, it says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, but with the leaven of malice, not, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. <clears throat> so, <coughs> excuse me. So Paul has ordered the church there to take this severe step of discipline. It's the last of the steps of discipline. Um, and besides just giving them the order, he also wants to explain to them why it's necessary. And this may, um, <laughs> may encourage them to actually do this. Um, they have to change their attitude of permissiveness. They have to do this hard work of discipline. Back in verse 1, he said, he told them how bad this sin really was. Nobody accepts it. You have no business accepting it. So that's one reason for rejecting it. Um, verse 2, he, he tells them that their attitude of permissiveness is really arrogance against God. They think they know better than God how to deal with this sin. And that's wrong. And so now Paul's going to really warn them that sin, sinful attitudes spread throughout the congregation if they're not confronted. So he begins by talking about their boasting in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Um, this word good means fair and honorable and beneficial. So their attitude is not helpful. It doesn't help other people. Instead, it's the opposite. Um, it's destructive, it's evil, it's shameful. So your boasting is not good. Um, in this case, this attitude of acceptance and permissiveness will be harmful and destruct destructive to the church. So they're allowing this sinful practice to be regarded as an acceptable lifestyle in the church. This has bad consequences. Um, so he goes on to explain how this uh, is threatens the entire church, and he uses an old proverb. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Now, the leaven they used in those days is not like going to the store and buying a nice little packet of yeast. This is more like sourdough bread, where you take part of the old lump and keep it and put it into the new lump, and so it's it spreads. It's a starter for the next batch. Um, and the word little here is in an emphatic position. It takes very little of this mix uh, to spread to the whole lump. The word for little is micros. That's where we get microscope. Micrometers, you know, very small part. Um, so leaven here is used to represent sin or evil in this case. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, where we see Jesus using this illustration. 
Matthew chapter 16. Someone like to read verses 11 and 12 for us. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? <coughs> Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they, un then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay. So... Now this is really, I think maybe when they were crossing the room, well, that was a different place. You know, Jesus says, do you have enough bread? And they say, well, it's because we, for, yeah, we forgot to pack bread. Now he said, no, 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 I'm not, I wasn't talking about actual bread, but it's the leaven of, of their teaching, their attitude, their teaching. And that's kind of what we have going on in the, in the Corinthian church. The leaders have false teaching and that's a leaven that can spread throughout the church. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. And we'll see this same term here. Galatians chapter 5, would someone like to read verses 8, uh, eight through 11? Yes, 11 also, verse 11 but also. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Is that, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Okay, so here in Galatians, he's fighting the legalism, and, and it was specifically that the Jew, Judaizers wanted the believers to be circumcised under the law. And, you know, Paul is saying that's wrong, but he uses this terminology a little. Leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, we can't have legalism creeping into the church. And so, you know, it's, it's the same, um, same phrase, same general idea, but the particular teaching is a little different. Um, now, the same idea that we have here with leaven spreading is used in other places, but with, a, with different metaphors. I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. And someone like to read verses 16 through 18. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenesus and Philetus, who, who swerve from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Okay, so here we have more false doctrine, but here instead of using the illustration of leaven, what's the illustration? Gangrene. Gangrene. It spreads. Yeah, I mean, it's, what, what do we do? I mean, it's, with, if someone has gangrene. You amputate. You amputate, right? Is there, any, it gets bad. is there medicine that treats gangrene? No. Do you know of any? I, I've had people who've had like, possibly very, very minor gangrene that they'll treat with antibiotics. 
Okay. It may or may not work, so I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> you start amputating, right. That flesh eating thing, too. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he's saying to do to the church. This guy is like gangrene. Cut him off. The whole body's going to die if you don't do that. Um, so that's, you know, that's the same as the idea as a lump of leaven and a lump of clay, a little different illustration, but the same idea. And then let's go back to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Someone would like to read verse 33 for us. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Okay. That's, that's the same idea. And here he's talking to the Corinthians again. Don't be deceived. This is, this is a problem. It's going to spread. Um, uh, this, this phrase actually here, the commentary says, this is a Greek proverb from a play by Menander. So since it was a Greek play, they should recognize this, you know, uh, this statement. Um, something that we have in our um, culture is this phrase, uh, one bad apple spoils the entire barrel. So it's all the same idea. This is something bad in your midst, get rid of it before it spreads and causes more problems. Okay, uh, get rid of it before it threatens the whole congregation. Okay, so uh, we need to stop there, and we'll pick up here next week. Uh, Joe, Lord, we thank you for your time. We gather your word. We thank you that it's open to us that we have a, an open concept in this country at this point. We just pray that we will keep that. We'll keep leaders in place that will keep us to where we can have that open concept. We do pray for our leadership for this nation that your hand will be upon them, that they will turn to you and, and strive to follow what you have for them to do. Pray for the, um, the um, country of Israel at this point, which seems to be under attack. Pray for those there that are, are believers in you that have uh, safety. Pray for that nation as they try to decide how they're going to deal with terrorist activities. Just pray Lord, that the um, nations won't turn against them as they try to protect their own selves. Just pray Lord, the hand that we have that on that. We know that uh, the Israeli people are, and the nation still has a, a heart, in your, that you still have a heart for them. And, we just pray, Lord, that you'll be controlling that situation there. We just pray, Lord, that you um, also have earthquakes in Afghanistan and, and people are in Amish and, and need there, that you're going to be upon them. So, Lord, as, as this nation, as this country, as this world seems to be falling apart, we thank that you are in control. We just pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in all that takes place. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.